Hello, everybody. Welcome in to Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. How's it going? Good. Yourself? Great. You know, we dug out from the freeze. We still got ice on the deck, uh, which, you know, so I try not to walk out there. I'm an an old man, and I don't need to be falling and injuring anything. So, uh, Well, you've already done that. So, Already done that. Yeah, I've been there and done that. Wait a minute. Hold on. Who is that talking now? Why? That's Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. How are you? I I don't need any introductions, Kevin. I just, like, decide when I'm going to go, I go. (laughs) A man who needs no introductions. He says himself. Wow. How about that? Oh, I, I thought when you said we were only going to have three today, I was hoping Callie would be the third. No, we were not so lucky. Callie Kaplan can't be with us today, our Mavs beat writer. She's got a lot of things going on. She's She can't be bothered she by things to do. That's right. Can't be bothered Just by schmucks frivolity. like us. I'll know. not let She had an important appointment. I'll not let you um, try to besmirch the reputation of Callie, who I've been told that a lot of our listeners think has been a great addition to the podcast. Yeah, or, so or, at least, or at least one listener, which is um, a lot for us. Uh, yeah, one I was listener. Say. Um, no, hey, I, I, I will th- tell you one thing. I've got some breaking news. Oh, no. Oh, God. Um, in the, I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm getting a little bit tired of Troy Aikman um, stalking me. Uh, as you guys know, that a couple months ago, he like followed me to National Anthem when it opened and had dinner across the the, the row for me. And this weekend, um, I happened to find him just coincidentally walking along the Katy trail at the same time that I was. Um, okay. I, I see you walking along the Katy trail. Was Troy really walking along the Katy trail? No, he was, was actually he... walking at that point in time with oh, okay. this big thing of water. And then he walked into the Katy trail ice house shortly after we did uh, where there were a bunch of signs celebrating Troy Aikman's eight beer, whatever, eight, elite, elite eight, whatever it's called. Um, and they, he was gra- gladly greeted by a bunch of people. Um, I'm bearing the lead here. I didn't ask him if he's going to Amazon to do TV next year. Sorry. Okay. We just talked about in our pre-show here that tightening we were going to try tightening up. things up. And immediately, Evan. the person who brought it up. And then you meander on the Katy Trail with Troy. Listen, anything involving the Cowboys quarterback that's not... you didn't ask him something. Anything involving a former Cowboy quarterback that is not Quincy Carter or Drew Bledsoe (laughs) is important. And happy 80th birthday to Roger Staubach also. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, Evan. And now if you'll go sit down, that would be great. All right. It's Super Bowl week, finally. Uh, It is here. The Bengals and the Rams, uh, no longer the Bungles, the Bengals, uh, have made it back to the uh, Super Bowl. I preferred the Bengals with Susanna Hoff. No, it's not the Bengals either. (laughs) Uh, The Bengals. Uh, And that's after, what, a 36-year drought? Is that what it was uh, between Super Bowls for the Bengals? The 88 season was the last Uh, one, right? That's not it, then. That's 35. Uh, And that was a long one. But, Evan, you have a list for us of the longest Super Bowl droughts. Well, I mean, I think this just gets prefaced by – if the Bengals can make it back to the Super Bowl, there's always hope for the Cowboys, right? That's, but, that's correct. But here are the top 10 longest droughts for NFL teams playing in a championship game. Um, and I, I'll, I'll note that uh, 
several of them have never played in the Super Bowl, uh, that being Detroit, Cleveland, and Jacksonville. But the longest droughts are Detroit, Cleveland, the New York Jets, whose every time you mention them are greeted by a, a room full of booze, Minnesota, Miami, Washington, Buffalo, Jacksonville, the the Los Angeles Chargers, and the Dallas Cowboys. So this now is the Cowboys' tier of teams in the NFL. Tenth on that list. Bottom third. Bottom third of the league, yep. How about that? Who'd have thunk it? You know, David, I was thinking about this because the last Super Bowl in the Los Angeles area before this week was when the Cowboys played at the Rose Bowl, uh, uh, and that was the, the first of their Super Bowl run. In first of their three, yeah, in that stretch. Yeah. So, David, when they were when they won and blew out the Bills in that game, fifty-two to seventeen, and uh, when they were in the process of winning those three Super Bowls and and uh, uh, going to an NFC Championship game in the in the other year that the of that four year run, uh, what did you think the Cowboys were going to do long term? Did you feel like, my gosh, this team is going to dominate the nineties? <laughs> They, they're just going to be – they'll be the greatest team in the uh, in the, in this era, right? Or or did, or did I think, wow, this is the pinnacle. We'll never see this again. <laughs> you know, which, which, no, which no one thinks when you're in the midst of achievement, right? No right. one conceives this long, barren period afterwards um, and – and doesn't really acknowledge while an incredibly talented and driven team, there is always a, an element of luck that competitors don't really want to acknowledge. You know, they, they talk about it, but uh, th- there is good fortune that, that goes along with these things as well as, as, as far as injuries, timing of injuries, injuries to other teams, uh, specific plays or calls, uh, just so many things that go into it. Um, not to minimize what they accomplished, because obviously you couldn't win three and four years uh, if you weren't a dominant team. You know, they were the team of the 90s, and you knew there would be a down period afterwards uh, because of the way the NFL is structured competitively and, and from a payroll standpoint to even or level the playing field. But you, uh, no one envisioned this long of a blue period in, in uh, Cowboys history. Um, you know, the Celtics went through a long period. The Lakers went through a long period. I mean, it, you see it in other sports as well. Um, San Francisco went through a long period, but they've come back and been to the Super Bowl a couple of times uh, since the Cowboys did, right? And, and they were they were right on the cusp of going back for the second time in three years this year. But here's what I would suggest to both you guys. You can – you can look around the other major sports, and the Celtics and Lakers went through significant droughts, as you mentioned, David, on on championships. But both of those are still considered the benchmark for the NBA. The Yankees are right now in a thirteen year drought, which is as long as uh, you know I can remember uh, for that franchise in terms of winning a world championship. But they're still considered the benchmark. For Major League Baseball, I would suggest to you, and and I, you know, I think it's been a long time since the Canadians won anything in the NHL, but they're they're still the most storied franchise in in the in, in the NFL. I would submit to you that while the Cowboys have long been considered 
you know, the iconic franchise in the NFL, they no longer hold that title. That title is clearly in the hands of the New England Patriots now. And the Cowboys, you know, they can trot out America's team. They, they, they still have a great fan base, but they are no longer the benchmark for, the, for NFL success. And I would say that's the difference between them and the other iconic franchises that, that hit other sports. Well, I think it depends on who you're talking to. You you hear I mean, the Steelers have been to more Super Bowls. They've they've got six championships, uh, you know, and and so do the Patriots. Uh, so they have they both own more uh, Lombardi trophies than the Cowboys do. It's you know it's it depends on if you're talking about marketing, which the Cowboys lead the world in that. So there's there's no challenge of that, and they don't they don't really have to win Super Bowls to to keep that title. Uh, Jerry just keeps uh, the money keeps rolling in uh, for him. Uh, but, uh, certainly, you know, David, I remember, uh, sitting there and watching them play in the early nineties, uh, in those Super Bowls and thinking that, you know, here, Troy Aikman has won three Super Bowls. My gosh, doesn't that make him one of the greatest quarterbacks ever? And I just, I just remember thinking, is he really? I mean, I just, I, I watched those teams play and it just seemed so surreal. They had been so bad at the end of the eighties and it was such a fast turnaround to go from so awful to so great so quickly. I mean, it's it just, how does this happen? It, it, I just remember I struggled putting that together and thinking, you know, is this really who they're going to be from now on? Because I'm still used to them being awful. Uh, and, 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 and watching this now. And, you know, it was, it was the way that they won too. It wasn't that, oh my gosh, look at the way uh, Troy Eggman throws the ball. It was just so machine-like, you know, they, they it was just like a great big machine with all these cogs. It was, perfectly put together. Uh, they, they, they played so well together. I mean, Emmett Smith clearly obviously was great. Uh, and, and he ended up being the NFL's all time leading rusher, but you know, people would always say, yeah, but what about Barry Sanders? He's a lot better than, than Emmett Smith. And, and if you played fantasy football, you know, Troy Aikman's numbers were terrible compared to all, you know, 16 other quarterbacks in the league at the time. Uh, and, and, you know, Michael Irvin, as great as he was, he wasn't a great downfield threat. He was basically a possession receiver. So, you know, uh, the fact that they were able to win and dominate like they did, uh, and they did it so quickly, and then it just flamed out so fast, it just kind of all makes it seem a little bit like it was a dream, which I'm sure to Jerry Jones it was a dream, and he probably wakes up in the middle of the night uh, thinking about it and, and shivers. Uh, to consider what, what what in the world happened. Well, you know, I, I think all truly special teams or teams that have had dynasties, I think they arrive, when you go back and reflect on it, they arrived at that position quicker than anyone anticipated, right? Uh, yeah. No, You know, I think people felt that Cowboys team was being built for success, but they thought it was more likely to come two to three years after it started. And to me, that's where you have dynastic teams. They strike earlier than you would anticipate. Um, and, and I think you see it in every sport. Uh, I, I think every every dynasty actually began a year or two before you assumed that there was a chance it would start. Uh, and, and that's what separates. And, you know, you hear every season players talking about, oh, this is a special team until it blows up in their face and there are very few special teams and those are ones that do it and you've seen it this year 
uh, were Cincinnati, right? No one envisioned Cincinnati, no one to this point. But they did say, you know what? Now they have a future. That Joe Burrow, he's a pretty intriguing guy. Uh, he got hurt his first year, but you can't, you know, just get his feet back under him a second year. And maybe, maybe next year they start to do something. And then maybe three, four years down the road, uh, this team can be- get back competing for a chance to go to a Super Bowl. And what does Joe Burrow do in his first full season as an NFL quarterback? He gets them there. Uh, and, and that's what special players do on, you know, in making special teams. So, well, I mean, I'm, I, I still on Joe Burrow and, and I know, you know, I was the grumpy old guy on Luca as well. But I mean, on this stuff, I, I, it's still for me, he's on the precipice of becoming a special player. This is a special season. But there have been other quarterbacks who have ended up, you know, by whether Marino by, never got back, yeah, by hook or crook, taking a team to the Super Bowl early and not returning. I mean, I, I feel like what Mahomes has done, even though that the, the last the last AFC Championship, the last couple minutes of that was was really um, unfortunate. I mean, going to four consecutive AFC Championship games that's special. Um, sure. I, I think that and they have one title to show for it, so that doesn't cement yeah. how special they've been. You know, I've I've long maintained that that the greatest accomplishment in the NFL that no one recognizes is Buffalo going to four consecutive Super Bowl and losing all four. Uh, yeah. I don't know of any team built like that that would could continually come back in the face of that disappointment for that long of a period of time to get back to that level. I, I think in a lot of ways you can, American sports won't recognize it or, or any anywhere because it is about the accomplishment, right? It is about the title, uh, the, the trophy, but tell me a team that's come close to showing that resiliency and that fight and fighting through all the mental anguish and disappointment to do that year in and year out. It was, it was a remarkable feat. Yeah. I think the, I think the it, team you'd have to go back to would be like the Brooklyn Dodgers or, or yeah. something on that facing the Yankees. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that, you know, I want to just quickly go for, to David's point about being the getting there before you think they really were going to, is a, which is a great point. And I think that's, that's the issue with, with uh, Dak Prescott. Uh, but the fans have a hard time making the buy-in here is like he hasn't won any playoff games, you know, uh, and, and until he does that, I, I'm not buying into that. So that's what Joe Burrow has got his team into a Super Bowl now, and that's the argument against the quarterback he's playing against, which is Matthew Stafford, who's uh, – I think his playoff record was, what, 0-3 when he was uh, in Detroit? Yeah. Uh, never done it. He's not getting a lot of uh, – he's not getting a lot of love now. Uh, I was I was shocked – in the uh, NFC Championship game at the reaction of Al Michaels uh, a, a couple of times, tried to say that that uh, Matt Stafford had basically tried to give the game away there at the end uh, when he did that ill-advised quarterback draw. And you just never see somebody say something like that. But everybody's ready to talk about Matt Stafford. He's going to make that throw down the middle of the field. He's going to throw an interception. He's going to lose this game for you. So we've got two quarterbacks on either end of the scale here. One who's who's had a, a pretty good career, uh, Matt Stafford, a very talented quarterback, uh, a guy who had a lot of the traits that everybody uh, attributes to Patrick Mahomes, but that sidearm pass from Matthew Stafford's has been pretty long established uh, before Mahomes ever got to the league. Uh, and then you got a guy like Joe Burrow just starting out who I, I tell you, if you're looking for a, a Tom Brady starter kit, he's the, probably the closest thing to it in the NFL at this point. So this is very interesting I hate to me that to see comp, Kevin. You know I hate that comp. 
that that comp. Well, I'm not saying that he's going to beat Tom Brady. I'm just what about saying Jeff that- Namath. Will you take that one? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know what? Right now, I, I right now I would because it's kind of the flash in the pan until you you know un, un, until you do it multiple times and we're just, I hate the comp every time that we we come up with of we're going to compare somebody to the greatest ever to do it and I know what Kevin's saying but I I I just think it's an awful lot to put on a on a, on a guy's shoulder. He's had a tremendous season. I think he's got a tremendous career ahead of him. I think the tools, Kevin, you're, is what you're you're comparing him to. But I think people will go to the career instead. Well, absolutely. Andy but, but plays it, in a, Andy plays in a conference with Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Herbert Herbert in uh, in L.A. Those four guys. If you're looking for a silver, blue and silver lining for Cowboys, it is that they are not in the AFC. And and clearly the the ship has sailed. Dak Prescott is not going to have the impact Joe Burrow had initially, but there's still a chance he can be a Matthew Stafford. And now with, uh, you know, now you look at the quarterbacks he has to get past in the NFC. It is a, I don't want to say an easier task, but it is not as daunting as what uh, AFC teams face here for the next five to eight years. So Dak Prescott, and the Cowboys do have that going for them and that the balance of power as far as uh, great young quarterbacks has clearly shifted to the AFC. But that, so that's, where we're, that's where we're at now, right, guys? That Dak is yeah. closer on the on the scale Stafford. to being Matthew Stafford than he is yeah. to being a Joe Burrow. He's closer to trying to pers- preserve a legacy than create one, I guess. Persist, persist per- yeah. until you get there, yeah. Yeah. All he has to do now is get traded to a Sean McVay coach team. That's <laughs> that's that's what Dak needs. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, speaking of uh, uh, coaching, uh, Kellen Moore is back with the Cowboys, and and there wasn't exactly a resounding applause from Cowboy Nation about the fact that he was going to be back. He interviewed for the Miami Dolphins job and was a finalist apparently for that. Why in the world he'd want to go there where the where the owner is is uh, apparently bribing coaches to lose games? You know, uh, I don't know, but you know he he interviewed there and and lost that job uh, to a guy that uh, uh, Mike McDaniel, who's been the uh, offensive coordinator of the 49ers for one year and a, and a quarterbacks coach before that, and a guy who looks like Kellen and has never called brother. plays. And has never called plays. Unlike yeah. Helen Moore, who's done it for the last three years. But but again, it uh, it is fascinating to me and, and it shows the 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 eye test is something different from the stats a lot of times, right? And we always get into this argument in sports, but the, the Cowboys set a franchise record in points, uh, led the league in scoring, led the league in yards. The offensive coordinator of that team's coming back, and Cowboys fans are going. Eh, I was ready to move on and see something else. That offense, yeah. I don't know. Um, w- which shows you, in, in my mind, just what a large disconnect there was in the second half of the season because the, the stats show they were at the top. And those two 50-point games in the final three weeks certainly kept them up there, uh, probably inflated uh, what their actual performance was. But you can't dismiss that either. Over the course of 17 games, uh they were more effective and explosive than any offense in the league. But we saw in the second half that was much different. And, and in addition to all the personnel issues we saw, um, Kellen Moore's game calling came into question, right? I mean, everyone was talking in the first half of the season how creative he was and how what a great flow and a feel he had for the game. 
what we saw in the second half when coordinators took some things away from that and he didn't have in that feel, he, he wasn't in that rhythm, just like a player needs to be in a rhythm. He really struggled uh, to, to get to calls that, that made sense and would prolong drives. And, um, you know, I think he's very good. You have the democratic offensive principles, which is you spread the ball around. You don't want to fixate on one guy because the defense can take it away. All of that's great when things are working. But we saw in that second half, teams were taking players away from them. And and Kellen Moore was unable to establish anything in the offense that the defense had to respond to. And then you get the rest of the offense flowing from that. So I, I think that's where he needs to improve in this offseason going into next year. No question about it. All right, let's uh, before we get out of our uh, Cowboys slash NFL segment, everybody give me a score of the Super Bowl this week. Evan, we'll start with you. Um, I, uh, I I guess it's impossible right now to pick against the Joe Burrow momentum, but um, I will. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna put my stock in Matthew Stafford and and Sean McVay and say the Rams win this one. And it's gonna get gonna get wacky at the end. How about a, a twenty-eight-twenty-six final score? <laughs> yeah, that's wacky. Twenty-six. <laughs> no one's ever scored twenty-six in the history of the 26 NFL. Twenty-six and a half. <laughs> How's that, David? Uh, I think I'll go Rams here. I just think that Rams defensive front uh, against Cincinnati's offensive line. Is going to be critical. You know, we we saw what Tampa Bay's line did to a, a a substandard Kansas City offensive line last year, and how that changed the complexion of the game. I I think that's going to be a little similar this time around. So I'll go Rams twenty seven to twenty. Uh, I hate to make it unanimous, but I'm going to say the Rams to 24, 21. I, I, I like David's point, although Joe Burrow did take nine sacks. Nine sacks and made and plays to win at the end. It's yeah. still won a game. It's just unbelievable. But, so in uh, other words, nobody's buying the Joe Burrow hype. I'm not buying It's not Joe Burrow. It's the rest of the Bengals I don't like. Jamar <laughs> Chase is very good. And the defense has its moments. That offensive line is terrible. The defense is very good. And that's what's going to be. Because, yeah. again, we've seen Matthew Stafford has, has thrown some pick sixes here in the regular season and postseason. So if, if that Bengals defense gets a few plays early, uh, it'll have a little bit different tone to it, I think. Yes, it will. All right. Yeah, I mean, I th- and I think that is the thing that we're kind of overlooking a little bit is that we have seen Matthew try to force long passes into places, right? Yeah. Sure. In big situations. Okay. Thank you, Evan, for tightening up that NFL segment there. Uh, okay. We're going to move on now to the Mavericks. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, them at the deadline. The trade deadline is Thursday. Uh, we said last week we didn't think the Mavericks would make a trade. I still don't think they'll make a trade, at least not a significant one. They they kind of uh, backed into a corner with their contract situations and uh, injuries and whatever. Uh, but uh, I, I want to talk about uh, a guy who has played really well here in the last six games, which coincides pretty much with the, the length of time that Tim Hardaway Jr. has been out of the game uh, with an injury. And that is Reggie Bullock, uh, who, uh, when he was acquired from the Knicks, and one of the many deals that the Mavericks seem to do with the Knicks, uh, it's like the Knicks Southwest, uh, is that uh, he was supposed to be a 3 and D guy. Uh, he provided neither of those things uh, in the first half of the season. He really struggled. And now I don't think it's coincidence with Tim Hardaway out. He's taken a larger role. He's playing more minutes. 
And all of a sudden, he looks just like the guy they thought they were getting. He's scoring uh, 20 points a game in the last six games. He's uh, playing great defense. The Mavericks game against the Hawks on Sunday. Uh, he and uh, Dorian Finney-Smith pretty much held um, Trey Young to 17 points, 0 of 6 from three-point range. This just smothered him. Uh, so I'm wondering at this point, David, do you think that they are better off just sitting on this and seeing where this goes because this team is now really kind of developing an identity uh, of defense. And, uh, and if, if Bullock can provide that three point shooting, the catch and shoot, uh, that that's what he was doing in New York anyway, maybe they're better off like this. Yeah. Well, one, I, I was skeptical that they'll be able to make any deal at the deadline that would substantially increase their ability to go deep into the playoffs And so if you can't do that, I don't know why you would. Um, And, you know, injuries or or other factors sometimes allow you to stumble in to what you hoped you would get or something you didn't think you would get, right? And and I think with Hardaway out, um, Bullock did find himself in a role where you can say they, they stumbled into it because of the injury. But the other thing you get into is the way Bullock was playing, he didn't warn any more time and you're trying to establish, you know, a rotation and, and, and you have to do that based on what guys are showing you in practice and in games. And he didn't deserve to have anything handed to him. So you can't give him more uh, minutes in the rotation to, to break out of, of, of his slump or force feed him in games to, to kind of get him going. Uh, a player on that level is just going to have to strike when they get the chance to do it. And he has, and, and with what Brunson has done this year and what Bullock is doing now, it's kind of radically changed the role you view for Hardaway going forward in this thing, right? And and maybe maybe this is the domino effect that makes this current roster, maybe you can maximize it and you have a little better feel for it uh, and what it could do than it would otherwise. And, and this is Hardaway going back, uh, you know, being in a bench role and being uh, – uh, a Jason Terry sort of player, if you will, to to evoke memories of, of past teams uh, from Mavericks fans. So I, I think you just play this out. Now, again, we're we're once again talking about Kristaps Porzingis being out for a, a while with yet another injury, but this team is continuing to play well in his absence, and that's the thing. If you have more of a defensive identity, which this team is starting to develop. I still don't think it's there, but I think it's starting to develop. Um, you can be a little more consistent in, in weather stretches where one of your key players is out. And uh, you're not as erratic as if you're strictly an offensive uh, team. And I think you're starting to see that with this group. You're starting to get some traction. So I, I think you want to play this out, get a better idea where everyone's roles are, and then you have some hard decisions in the offseason with with paying guys, retaining guys, or, or going out and getting someone else. Um, but yeah, I think where they are now, um, I wouldn't rule out them making a deal, but um, I don't think it's imperative that they do one. And I don't think they feel the pressure to do one. No, I don't think so either. Let's let's look at that though, the possibilities, because the two attract two most attractive players on the team for uh to trade for other teams that would want, uh, other than of course Luca, uh, is the uh Dorian Finney Smith and uh Jalen Brunson. Both of those guys under very uh uh great contracts or team friendly contracts. Uh they're not making anything. 
Um, and both of them are, are guys who are going to be free agents after this season. So there, there's the argument to make that, well, if you don't make some kind of deal with them now, you're going to lose them anyway. What are the chances? I really don't feel like uh, that uh, Jalen Brunson is going to want to come back here. I, I would think, you know, he's he's got less than, a, I think his, his contract is $4 million this year. He's making less than a rookie contract uh, that, that a lot of rookies are getting. So uh, I, I think he feels like if you guys really wanted me, you should have made a deal with me before now. Uh, and he's going to, I think he will draw some attention. There's been a lot of speculation about him. Matter of fact, going to New York and playing for the Knicks, uh, his dad played for the Knicks and there's been a lot of a, attractiveness to that kind of thing. Um, Dorian Finney-Smith might be a little more amenable to, to a deal of some sort. And of course the Mavericks are, are still trying to preserve enough uh, space that they maybe could attract some better players to put around Luca. Uh, so I, I think it's an interesting question about what the Mavericks will do, uh, how much they will spend. You know, they, they don't have a, a, a first rounder to send until I think 2027. Uh, there are just a, a lot of issues here and, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how they move going forward. You know, part of the issue is getting guys to, to mesh with Luca's game because he's so ball dominant. Uh, and the fact I'm that they sorry? Put, no. No, that's that's not anything about you. Not bald. Okay, ball, I, ball I didn't quite hear what you said. No, not bald. Yeah, yeah. You can go back to sleep. Thank you, though. Uh, so anyway, the the fact that it is hard to find guys to, to play with them, and I know that sounds crazy, but that's kind of been the, the history we've seen, right? They the Mavericks have added people. Josh Richardson, that didn't work out. Uh, you know, uh, Delon Wright, that didn't work out. Um, so it's been a little bit difficult to find things to work. And so far, Jalen Brunson has worked very well uh, on the floor with with uh, with Luca. And also now we see that in this role, uh, Reggie Bullock seems to be meshing as well. So there are things to do here. To me, the, the worst thing the Mavericks have going for them is uh, at this point, probably Tim Hardaway's contract. I, that, yeah. I, I felt like going in, you know, when that was the big move they made in the offseason, it's like, ah. I don't know. He's not good enough defensively. He's not consistent enough offensively. I don't know that I'd commit that much money to him, but they just had no other move to make, and that's what they did. And now they're stuck with him. Yeah, he he's a – again, that was where you needed to work through the very difficult conversation of, okay, I know this looks like we're taking a step back if we let him go and we're losing the talent, but – is Jalen Brunson a better fit, and do we want to put the money there rather than giving it to Tim Hardaway? It was easier from a public relations standpoint and a public perception standpoint, and, and the contract came up earlier, so you did it. But that is that is kind of being, you know, I think the Mavericks' hand were was forced a little bit, but they didn't have to go down that road either, right? If they uh, if they really had a conviction that Brunson was a better fit going forward, why wouldn't you save that money and, and, and redirect it? So uh, now they've left themselves in a very difficult spot. And you're right. And, um, you know, not just the Mavericks, other teams do this, but I'm still struck, you know, after the Mavericks won their title and they were talking about what a great chemistry and how the, uh, this, you know, the the sum of the parts is greater than any individual, you know, and, and creates a, a more powerful whole, all this stuff, all, all this trite stuff you hear. But but it's true. I mean, you, you have chemistry on teams. You laud it. You say it what sets you apart. And then, but you don't monetize it in the offseason, right? Suddenly you get to the offseason, you go, 
well, yeah, you fit on this team really well, but there are 17 other players at your position in the league who are better than you. So we're not going to pay you goodbye. You know, we'll get, we'll get someone else who's on your plateau. And I think Brunson's going to fall into that a little bit, you know, and, and you've seen not only, not only from the play style that he's had to develop with uh, Luca over this time, but the temperament too. I mean, he, I, I think more than anyone else on that, on that team, he stands up to Luca. You know, he calls Luca on his stuff and says, well, what are you doing here, man? You're out of, you know, and it, he, like he made a comment the other day when Luca got his fifth foul and he was laughing and everything. He's going, what is wrong with you? You know, and I, you're out of your head at the moment. Get back in the game. This is not funny. Um, so I, I think they're I think they're having serious remorse now would be my belief on, on uh, not trying to, to to lock him down earlier and, and very concerned uh, about their ability to keep him. Yeah, you know, uh, and really after the end of how last season ended, he didn't even get on the floor against yeah. the Clippers in the playoffs. So you, when Hardaway maybe- did and had some good games, so you're going, oh, oh, well, okay, we can see where well, you got to, you know. So in the moment, everyone said, well, yeah, you have to do this. But, you know, good management is not about in the moment. <laughs> it is about uh-huh. you see these guys every day. You see them in practice. Uh, you know how guys interact with Luka. Um, you know who is best. Uh, should be a best fit for the style you want going forward. And um, now we'll see. I mean, this, this could be a second consecutive year of you you sign the guy you want and and another one gets away, but you know, the the Mavericks had this before. I mean, in in signing Michael Finley, they in essence let Steve Nash go because they couldn't pay him. Uh, This may be, uh, hate to compare everything to the past, different players, different level. Uh, You know, Jalen Brunson is not to the Steve Nash level, but um, letting him walk right now, I think, would be a, a, a ser- very serious blow to this team's development. Absolutely, because what we've seen this year is that uh, with the, the, the twin point guard approach here, it has really taken uh, the ball out of Lucas' hands, which has been a good thing at times. He's, his usage is, is still up, but uh, that, that's run very well, and teams across the league have, have complimented uh, Jason yeah. Kidd for the fact that he's done that. All right, that's going to do it for our Mavericks segment. We're going to move on now to a little potpourri. Uh, we're going to start uh, with uh, uh, the announcement that uh, that MLB will no longer be tested for steroids, Evan. So this means that, you know, Mark McGuire and, uh, uh, you know, uh, Barry Bonds and all these guys can come back, right? Rafael Palmero. Holy cow, this could be great. Calm down, Kevin. As usual, you're overly excited and wrong. Um <laughs> What, if I'm reading all of this right, basically, and this all of this makes sense, that with the contract expiring and lapsing, that all the tenants that go along with the CBA um, now expire. So what it means is that in the interim, as long as there was a lockout and as long as there was no contract, players are not being tested for PEDs. I do not know if this opens the door for great abuses by player because I, by players, because I do believe that whenever a CBA is actually settled, um, there may be some planks in the PED uh, testing uh, platform that, that need to be adjusted, but I've not heard anything that there was a real issue with that. I don't think that was one of the 8 million things they seem to need to litigate about. So um, 
the question then becomes, could somebody get on a PED cycle? Could somebody uh, at the beginning of this say, you know, I think this is going to last a couple months. I could use this window to get on a couple of cycles that I could then um, clean my body of once testing resumes, whenever spring training starts. I, I think this is just one of the more likely answer here is this is just one of those unfortunate situations that that take place during a lockout, but I do not ultimately think that this will have a great impact on players um, abusing PEDs, uh, because I I don't know that anybody could have calculated how long this was going to last. I think that once you get back to spring training, I think the former CBA had a platform that indicated all players were tested at least once during spring training and then randomly during the year. Um, so I think that the, that there would be a catch for that. Uh, it, it's just one of those things that PEDs are always going to be a hot-button topic. Um, and the fact that they're not being tested right now makes for a good headline. But I'm not sure, and, and I may be misreading this, but I'm not sure that it opens the door for great abuses by players. Well, let's hope not. Uh, you know, just one more black eye for for baseball, though. I, I don't know a sport. Well, I don't know. The NFL has really been kicking itself around lately, too. Uh, but the but MLB really likes to uh, to do things to to tick off fans. Well, MLB MLB likes to do a lot of things to like kick. I, I don't know that anybody's capable of kicking themselves in the groin, but MLB seems to do that regularly. Again, in twenty twenty, they could have been the first sport to be back and playing, and they were the last. Um, everybody else was able to get their stuff in order while MLB was still negotiating what a, what ended up being a four-month, essentially a work stoppage over the pandemic. Now um, would be a great time to announce a CBA. The NFL is dealing with a public relations nightmare related to the Brian Flores suit and, and everything that goes along with, um, with potentially owners offering bribes to tank and the integrity of the sport, it would be a great time to announce that, hey, we're coming back. And instead, what do you have? You have MLB owners reaching out to the government to say, hey, uh, we're we're really worried about getting this thing done. Can we get a mediator in here? When it's been the players all along who have been the, the side that has actually been bargaining, who has been willing to go to the table, who has been willing to make proposals, what MLB wants is the status quo. They just want to be able to impose a, a stricter, more punitive salary cap. And the players are saying, hey, 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 let's get some protections for young players here. Let's let's keep competitive integrity as a real um, significant aspect. I think it's time for the players, quite, pub- quite frankly, to publicly, the way Max Scherzer did, go out. Um, and, and use some rhetoric to, to explain their points of view. Because I think when it, when you get down to all the negotiating points, the players are right here. And what it is done is created, as you said, another black eye for the sport overall. But I think the players' points are being very much dismissed because people boil it down to a millionaire's versus billionaire's argument. And and while there are there are significant dollars involved, I, I don't know that that's always the case in, in, involved in, in this kind of situation. All right. Uh, speaking of millionaires, let's uh, 
Did, you, did anybody see uh, uh, Jordan Spieth shot there at Pebble Beach uh, where he was standing on the side of a 70-foot gorge? Uh, <laughs> oh gosh. He said it was the most nerve-wracking shot of his life. He, he takes the shot and then immediately runs backwards like 30 feet, which I guess he thought maybe it would all give way underneath his feet, and he'd end up down at the bottom of that. That was un- unbelievable that you would even – that that kind of play is even in play. Holy cow! How about a fence? How about putting something over there? I don't know. What if you're What if you're just wandering along, not paying any attention, which I do all the time, and you just walk right off it, you know, to that uh, the bottom of that gorge? Come on. I I felt like that standing over most of my shots, but but <laughs> never actually had that true physical threat there. It just felt like it. But that was, I mean that that shot was remarkable. That's going to be one that that lives on for a while and will be showed quite often, I think, going forward. Yeah, and that's not even the most dangerous shot he took the whole day. He made the, he, he was on Sunday going into 17. He's up one uh, over uh, his uh, his TCUX, Tom Hodge. And then, and then the next thing you know, uh, he uh, hits his eight iron into the bunker and he can't get up and down and he blows the lead and the tournament finishes his second says that he will look back on this and kick himself for losing this tournament. I don't, I don't know quite how to take this stuff with, with Jordan. Is it, is it, it's obviously a good sign that on Sunday he's playing for these championships because he was on a real drought there for a while where he struggled to even do that well. Um, so I think, I think it's a good sign that he's competing for these. It's not a good sign that he's not winning them. He used to, when he got in these positions, lock this stuff down. Uh, I'm wondering uh, if at this point in his career – if he's not going to become the next Phil Mickelson, uh, a great golfer who just is capable of the absolute worst and the absolute best in a single round. Uh, and, and and if that's what he's going to be, that's all right with me. I, I've loved watching Phil It's entertaining. Phil yeah. Yes, it's very entertaining. And and I yeah, think just that- the inconsistency on the back nine with chances to win the tournament. That was kind of Mickelson's. That's what hurt him. And, and you've seen this starting with that Masters loss, right? Yeah, uh, you, you've seen this in Jordan Spieth's game, and he, and he's rebuilt his game back to the point where he is in contention again, and he is one of the better players. Um, but there have been a lot of great players in the sport. I mean, um, you know that that are right there, but would just come up with the bogey, double bogey on the back nine, just unable to close it because of of just what a a difficult mental animal the sport is. And, um, you know, you know, maybe, maybe he falls into that category. I guess we'll have to see. Maybe so. It's been fun to watch. Uh, all right. Last question. Uh, are you watching the Olympics? Evan, are you watching? Uh, we are, um, Gina, I, I don't know that there's a sport that Gina likes watching more than, um, than figure skating. So she has been very much, uh, intent on watching the Olympics, which has led to watching, uh, the freestyle skiing and the snow, the snowboarding um, slope style and the big air and, and all of that. Uh, and, and I'm always a fan of watching a little bit of luge just to see um, how crazy these idiots are. Um, I, I, I just don't ever understand that. You got the mask smashed up against your face. You're lying there. You can't see anything. You're hurtling down there at a million miles an hour. I, I just don't quite get that sport, but, and, and they're also, they're, they're dressed up like little rubber gummy bears. I it's, it's a very weird concept for me. Uh, but nonetheless, I'm always drawn to watching a little bit of luge 
But yes, we have been watching the Olympics. We've watched from the opening ceremony in which um, there was a lot of critiquing in my house of the various uh, uniforms. Uh, we thought that the Italian team managed to make themselves look like penguins upon their entrance into the stadium. Um, uh, let's see what else have been Olympic highlights for us. I think that's it. Okay, good. David, how about you? You watch it? Just in and out, you know, I'll kind of, I'll kind of flip around after, uh, watching billions or something like that to see what is, uh, <laughs> what is on at that moment. And, and if it's a sport I'm interested in, I'll, I'll stay. Um, but I've always kind of been, I, I enjoyed the winter Olympics, but, but, uh, don't follow it from start to finish all the way through all of the events. And a lot of that is regional, right? We just, you know, I grew up here and, I appreciate those sports. Uh, I do enjoy watching them and, and, uh, the, the athletic ability to do it at that level is undeniable, but just not something you grow up with. I just think you have a more casual attachment to it. So I, I would, I guess that's the way I would phrase it. I have a, a casual attachment, uh, to the winter Olympics. I yeah, enjoy I, it. I covered nine of them and I, I, I have to say, I enjoyed the winter more than the summer. I, you know, the summer Olympics are, you know, uh, track meets, swim meets. I, I've covered a lot of those here. When was I going to cover the luge or skeleton sure. or, or downhill skiing? You know, I, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy these Olympics and watching them. I, it doesn't even really matter to me that when the Americans aren't in contention for something, uh, I enjoy the, you know, watching the, the events. It's the one time you can, you can watch all this stuff, right? It's like, to me, it's like March madness. We don't care about these basketball teams all year long, but in the tournament, we love them. You know, Oh my gosh, look at a great little story. This, this team is what Fairfield is. You know, we, we find out where these places are and, and, and where the players come from. And we only have to care about them for a little while. And, and that's what the Olympics are to me when they come. So we, we're, we're watching them, uh, you know, uh, the lovely wife is, has stayed up a couple of nights until one o'clock in the morning watching them. I mean, it's like, what the heck? I can't get you to stay up that late for anything. <laughs> you won't say, yeah, you won't watch anything with me till one in the morning. And you're watching, you know, Winter <laughs> Olympics. Holy cow. But yeah, they, they love the uh, big air. Figures. Yeah, I gotta stay big, up for big air. Well, they're they're big figure skating uh, fans, and I was always glad I didn't have to cover much <laughs> figure skating myself. I was not uh, I, I didn't know a sow cow from a black cow, so it was uh, uh, always a little difficult for me to to do that. But Debbie said it's different. When I was actually at the Olympics, she did like it better. She was always hoping maybe she could just see me on one of these things. You know, uh, it's it's a little different now that I'm just sitting right next to her. All I'm doing is she tells me, here, we need another log on the fire. Would you go get one? So I go do that. So that's it. I, I feel Kevin, like we also Winter liked Olympics. it better when you were at the Winter Olympics. Yeah, <laughs> I bet you did. I bet you did. What was that, I, Evan? I feel, like the, I feel like the Winter Olympics are um, better for great names than uh, the Summer Olympics are. Um, I mean, where else can you get a Pyramid Zuberigen or yeah, an Ingemar good. Stenmark? Those are those are great names, and um, there was a Lola Lola Brigida. Did y'all see that? Gina Lola yeah, I Brigida. Saw her. She's a she's a great niece of uh, Gina Lola Brigida. I saw her. Holy yeah, cow! Holy um, cow! And and I feel like I've learned more um, about the world uh, from watching the Winter Olympics. I you know who was the great ski, female skier from Liechtenstein. I didn't even know that Liechtenstein exists until that skier won a couple of gold medals. What was her name? Uh, I'm going to look not, that up. 
I know, but their high school team is the Liechtenstein Licks. That's what that's what their high school team is. No, no, no. that's not it. Okay, <laughs> maybe not. All right, that's going to do it for us. I think uh, for our podcast this week, uh, Evan's going to look that up, and next week he's going to bring us back that information in his homework. Just hang on. No, we're not hanging on. Yeah, we're moving on. That's good radio. Let's just hang on. <laughs> Honey, oh, looks this up. Honey Venzel. Honey Venzel. She won. <laughs> no, that's something that you had for Thanksgiving. No, Honey won four Honey won four medals. She won at Innsbruck and she won three medals at Lake Placid. She was she was a great skier. Okay, Honey. Maybe we'll talk about Hani some more next week because the Olympics will still be going on and we'll, we're going to have all kinds of stuff to talk about next week and Callie will be back with us and that'll be good. Put, restore some sanity to this podcast. Uh, but other than that, it's been great talking to you guys about it. We'll see how the, our, our Super Bowl picks turned out and if Joe Burrow is creating a legacy and if, maybe if Matthew Stafford is creating one as well. So until then, everybody, we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>